have a question for you today. And it's a serious question. It may be the most important question someone asks you today. Okay? Ready for it? Here's the question. Are you smarter than a fifth grader? (laughs) Now, I realize I'm using the American term for school grades, but that's because the TV show uses that term. Have you seen that TV show, the, the trivia show hosted by Jeff Foxworthy a few years back? The show is a bit more unique than normal if you're not familiar with it. The premise of the show is that an adult contestant would go onto the show and they'd be asked questions straight out of grade school textbooks. Okay, so that was what happened. And if you got all the questions right, you could win up to a million dollars. So it was a, it pays off to study in grade school. But, but by far the majority of the contestants did not win the million dollars. Only two people ever did actually win. But when you were eliminated from the show, as most people were, you had to look right at the camera and confess. <laughs> and say, my name is Matt, and I am not smarter than a fifth grader. <laughs> so, are you smarter than someone in grade five? Don't worry, I'm not going to actually call you up and host a game show today to test your smarts. But here's another question for you. And this one is actually much more important to consider. Are you wiser than a fifth grader? Are you wiser than a fifth grader? For some of you, it may seem like I just asked you the exact same question as before. Others of you know the difference already. But do you know the difference between being smart and being wise? You can be very smart by just having a bunch of knowledge knowing a bunch of things in your head. Wisdom's more than that. Wisdom is is knowing the correct application of knowledge and then applying that. It's the correct application of knowledge. Knowing how to take knowledge and then apply it into your life and then actually doing it. That's wisdom. So the question, are you wiser than a fifth grader, is actually quite a thought-provoking question. See, I am quite sure that most people, even the hundreds of people who lost on the game show are actually smarter than a fifth grader. I would hope so. Because most of us, as we go along in age, we grow in knowledge. It happens naturally. But barring memory loss or sickness, we do get smarter with age. But wisdom does not necessarily behave in the same way. We do not automatically become wiser as we grow older. I would propose that wisdom actually fluctuates in our lifetime and that many people may actually decrease in wisdom over your lifetime. So growth in knowledge does not automatically correlate with growth in wisdom. Being smart and being wise, while they become almost synonyms in our culture, in reality they're very different things. Today as we look into God's word, we're going to get a glimpse of true wisdom. What is true wisdom? And I would hope that, as we read this, that this type of wisdom is something that we all yearn for in our lives. That by God's grace and power that we're all growing in this type of wisdom. Because wisdom, true wisdom, is much more important than any knowledge you can ever gain on earth. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to James chapter 3, page 1012 in your pew Bibles. James chapter 3, we'll be starting in verse 13 today. Our journey through the book of James brings us to this wonderful 
passage today. As we look into this, though, I want to begin by asking God for wisdom to understand how to grow in wisdom. Would you pray with me? Lord, we do ask for that today. We ask that you would guide us and grow us. You would take us and mold us more into your image. I pray for your wisdom in each of our lives, that we would know what it means to be wise, that we would grasp the the utter importance of this, and that we would learn from your word how to do it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The book of James has sometimes been called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And that's because, much like the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, a lot of what James has to say has to do with wisdom. If you remember, back in chapter 1, in our very first week in James, we read this, in chapter 1, verse 5, said, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. In those couple verses, we learn that wisdom is actually a gift from God. We cannot just gain wisdom on our own. True wisdom is a gift from God. But God wants to be generous with this wisdom. He doesn't want to withhold it from us. He wants us to ask, and he gives it to anyone who asks. So, do you want to be wise? You start there. Realize that wisdom doesn't, nece- doesn't naturally reside in you. It's of God. Now, you might be confused because there's actually more than one type of wisdom in the world. If wisdom is simply the correct application of knowledge, wisdom could take countless forms in many, many areas of life. For example, you could have the best street smarts ever, knowing exactly how to survive in this world. You could be wise in, say, the field of medicine and applying medicinal knowledge to heal people. You could be wise in politics, apply political wisdom or political knowledge in order to be successful. You could be wise as a parent, applying what you know to train socially responsible children. You could be a wise student. Apply what you learn in school into your first internship or first job. Be a wise mechanic or computer tech, daycare worker, whatever. Any case, you could be wise in those areas and know how to apply knowledge into your life. Don't get me wrong. Those are good types of wisdom to have in our world. They're good. However, this is not the wisdom that James is going to talk about here. The wisdom that James talks about is spiritual wisdom. Godly wisdom. Heavenly wisdom, you might say. Wisdom that matters now and forever. Wisdom that matters in God's eyes, not our world's eyes. Wisdom, you can be very wise in this world and not have it matter at all in eternity. So do you want to be wise in heaven's eyes, in God's sight? Do you want to have wisdom that matters forever? If so, this passage is for you. Do you want you wonder what that kind of wisdom looks like? How you can practically be wise as a Christian? Again, this passage is for you. Maybe you feel like you already are wise in this area, spiritually wise. James addresses people like you first. 
Back in chapter 1, he addressed those lacking in wisdom. Here he talks the opposite, or at least those who believe they are the opposite. Read with me chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Just the very first part, he asked the question, Who is wise and understanding among you? So that's the same question James does. Do you think you're wise as a Christian? Do you think that you're someone others should maybe come to you for advice? James has a challenge for you today, and it may make you feel a bit uncomfortable. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Regardless of how you view yourself as wise or not, here's what we learn from this first verse. And that's this, heavenly wisdom is revealed through humble works. To become wise in heaven's eyes, we must display humble works. Wisdom from heaven shows itself through humble or meek good works. Again, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So James issues this challenge to those who claim to be both wise and understanding. In other words, you know things, you just know different things, and that's understanding. And you know how to apply things in your lives. That's wisdom. When we make the mistake of equating wisdom with knowledge, we think that wisdom is hidden away in our brains. You have that idea? That wisdom is all in our minds? Wisdom isn't hidden. Wisdom is visible. And this is similar to what James said back in chapter 2 about our faith. We think faith is hidden, but faith is visible. There he was like, if you say you have faith, prove it. Show me your faith by your works. And here he's like, if you claim to be wise, prove it. Show me your wisdom through your works. As Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 19, he said, Wisdom is proved right or justified by what? By her actions. By actions. Let's say I was looking for someone to file my taxes this year. And you came up to me and said, I know taxes. I can file yours for you. Great. I'll go grab my papers. I gather all the papers I need, give them to you, leave them with you in order to work on my taxes. And I come back to you a few weeks later in order to sign the papers before they're sent off, only to find out that nothing has been done with my taxes. So, you, so I'd ask, what's the deal? I thought you'd said you could do my taxes for me. And you reply, well, I studied up on how to file them, and I figured out the whole process. But when it came to actually inputting the numbers, I just couldn't do it. If this happened, you wouldn't be showing me a lack of knowledge. You'd be showing me a lack of wisdom in that area. Now, this, of course, wouldn't be referring to spiritual knowledge, but that's what James is referring to here. And James is like, if you have spiritual wisdom, that wisdom should be being shown somehow. A spiritual wisdom example may look something like this. You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are called to care for the poor. You know this. Absolutely, positively, you could point out all the verses in the Bible where Jesus or James or others talk about us caring for the poor. You have these memorized even. But you just don't do anything about it. You have the knowledge. You don't have the wisdom. If you're wise, your wisdom will lead 
to good works. We talked in length uh, about good works a couple weeks ago, so I'm not going to go into great depth here. But good works, biblically, can include many different actions. Caring for the poor, like we just said, the needy, the lonely, looking out for people around you. Maybe putting your spiritual gifts into practice in the church, serving in the church. Giving generously of your time or your money or your resources. Seeking to reach out to the lost or to disciple young believers. Many other things. Good works could look like many different actions. But James says here that true wisdom is shown through more than just random occasional good deeds. It's actually shown through good conduct. Did you see that? Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Good conduct is wider than good works. Good conduct would refer to the consistency and faithfulness of good works. In other words, doing good works day after day until it becomes your lifestyle. It's who you are. So good conduct is what displays true wisdom. But we see here that good works are not all that's important. James tells us that it's still important how we do good works. Because we can still do very good things with very wrong motives. We do this many times. Look what he says again. Who is wise and understanding among you, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. In the meekness of wisdom. So it takes works that are done in meekness or in humility, as other translations would say. Our attitudes and motivations really do matter when we serve others. They really matter. God cares about our hearts when we do good works. I want you to ask yourself, what is your motivation for acting out your faith? What motivates you? Do you want to look better to other people to improve your image? Maybe you do it out of guilt because something you've heard in the past. Maybe you do it to receive praise or recognition from others. Or to build up your own spiritual self-esteem, how you appear to yourself. If we're wise, we'll do it out of humility. And this is humility. Knowing that we are sinners who deserve nothing from a holy God. Realizing that. And then when we see what God does for us in spite of who we are, when we see God's grace poured out on us abundantly again and again, it humbles us. And we can't help but humbly serve others like God served us. We can't help but graciously love others as God graciously loved us. When we truly see that, that's doing it in humility. Now you might have a question that needs to be answered before we go any further. It's a big one. And that is, why should we want heavenly wisdom? Why should I want to be wise? What's the purpose? And that's a good question. If there's no reason for us being wise, then why would we make an effort to be wise at all? Here's a few answers 
just really quick, of why we should want heavenly wisdom. First of all, if we're not applying what we know spiritually, and that's wisdom, if we're not applying what we know spiritually, ultimately it's worthless. Knowledge is useless if it stays at the cognitive level. Wisdom is how we apply that knowledge. So we need wisdom to apply spiritual truth. Second, wisdom is a highly desirable spiritual quality according to the Bible. Just read the book of Proverbs or Ecclesiastes, the story of Solomon in the Old Testament, 1 Corinthians 1, all over the place. Wisdom is esteemed. And you, you just see how great of a quality wisdom is in our lives. We also know from Scripture that God is wise. God himself is wise. He's all wise. And in Christ is hidden all the riches of wisdom and knowledge. And as followers of Christ, as followers of God, worshipers of God who want to be godly, we should want to be wise like God. To pursue that, to become more like Christ. Finally, to answer the question, why should we want heavenly wisdom, I'd point you to its opposite and show you how undesirable that is. You see, you cannot be neutral when it comes to wisdom. You either have it or you don't. It's something, you can't be neutral. And if you don't have wisdom, it can lead to some really scary things. And this is where James takes us next, beginning in verse 14, where he gives us a stark contrast between heavenly wisdom and earthly wisdom. Read with me. We'll start in verse 13 and go on from there. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. And stop there. What do we learn from those verses? We learn this. That heavenly wisdom rejects jealousy and selfish ambition. It rejects it. To become wise in heaven's eyes, we must reject jealousy or envy and selfish ambition. In contrast to true wisdom, which we read in verse 13, here's false wisdom. Again, verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not, be, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Talk about jealousy first. Do you know that there's a good type of jealousy? There's a good type of jealousy. For instance, God is a jealous God. He is jealous, desiring our full affections and worship for himself, which is how things should be. So it's not wrong for him to be jealous about that. The same goes for a jealousy between a husband and a wife that they should have for each other. But there's also a bad type of jealousy, which is basically a synonym for envy. Desiring or pursuing things that other people have Desiring it for yourself. James is clear that he's speaking of bad jealousy here by saying bitter jealousy. 
true heavenly wisdom rejects bitter jealousy, and it also rejects, we saw, selfish ambition. Again, there's a good side of ambition. Not all ambition is bad. Good ambition is a drive that God gives us to improve or to produce or to create. Bad ambition corrupts that drive to pursue things selfishly, to pursue it only for ourselves. And it's obvious that James is speaking of bad ambition here, not good ambition, because he calls it selfish ambition. What I find interesting is that both jealousy and selfish ambition are often considered virtues in today's world. They are. We're told to pursue anything that our hearts desire. That can be envy. Jealousy. Whether that be love or riches, a job, a home, a vehicle, whatever. It's jealousy. And ambition. If you don't have ambition in our world, you'll be left behind. But our world would say you have to do that for yourself. Do it for yourself. God's wisdom is so opposite our world's and our culture's wisdom. James says that if we have this negative jealousy and ambition in our lives, we aren't being wise. It says, verse 14, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. What does it mean to be false to the truth? I like the way the New Living Translation says it. I think it says it clearly. It says, But if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your hearts, don't brag about being wise. That's the worst kind of lie. Don't brag about being wise. James is basically saying, You're not actually wise, so don't boast that you are. Remember, he's talking to those who claim to be wise here. So, like I asked earlier, do you think that you're wise as a Christian? Examine yourself in light of this. Is there any jealousy or selfish ambition in you? What might these things look like in our Christian faith? Well, are you jealous of things other people have? Not just physical things. Maybe you're jealous of their success or their popularity, their gifts or talents that that God has given them, or maybe their knowledge. Regarding selfish ambition, again, ask yourself again, why do you serve in the church or even in your community or at home? Is it in order to gain anything for yourself? Recognition, satisfaction, friends? Acting out our faith in such ways, James would say, is not true wisdom. In fact, it's very much the opposite. Verse 15 This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Basically, the false wisdom of this world is of the world, the flesh, and the devil. See that? It's earthly, not heavenly in nature. It's unspiritual, not spiritual in essence. And it's demonic, not divine in origin. 
Have you realized that earthly wisdom, whatever it is, has the potential to be demonic? Now, demons, Satan's angels, are very smart, we know. They're very crafty and devious, but they are not wise. And if we are envious or we have selfish ambition, we stoop to their levels. How are these things demonic? Well, they were aspects of Satan's fall from heaven. They are sinful to its core. And demons would definitely encourage us towards them. Maybe you're jealous about someone else's happiness or talents, or friends. That's earthly. Maybe you selfishly want everything done your way in the church, because after all, you're the smartest one around. That's unspiritual. Or you're envious of other people's power, or control, or influence. That's demonic. If we are characterized by these things, if our church is characterized by these things, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. They inevitably lead to further sinning, even every vile practice. Jealousy and selfish ambition, I would say, are devilish landmines that are planted in our lives or in our church. And if you don't defuse them, they will destroy you. So if you see envy or selfish ambition creeping into your life, by the power of the Holy Spirit, kill it. It's not wise. It's evil and demonic and will lead to spiritual disaster. So that's the opposite of heavenly wisdom. But James isn't done yet describing the positive aspects of wisdom. We saw earlier that wisdom is active. It's displayed in our humble good works. We see, though, as we go forward, two other good aspects of wisdom in these last few verses. First of all, heavenly wisdom makes purity the first priority. To become wise in heaven's eyes, we must prioritize purity or holiness. James clarifies that this is the priority for those who are wise. In verse 17, as we continue on, it says again, But the wisdom from above is first pure. It's first pure. You want to be wise? Eagerly pursue being pure or holy. How high of a priority is purity for you? This week, we had a lot of things to do as a family. Very busy. We had a couple birthday celebrations. We had worship practice and prayer meeting at the church. We had a doctor's appointment to be at, some shopping to do, small group to go to. But then on Tuesday, Angela called me to tell me that the check engine light had come on in our car. Now, as many of you know, that light could mean nothing is actually wrong, or it could mean everything is wrong with the car. It ended up being a problem, a pretty minor problem with the fuel injection pump. But it was vital, as soon as that light came on, that we got it checked immediately to be safe. Even with all the other things going on on our agenda, 
That immediately shot to top priority. That had to be done. It became the first priority of our attention, our time, and unfortunately, to an extent, our money. James would tell us here that purity has to become the first priority for us in everything. At least if we want to be wise. But the wisdom from above is first pure. First pure. The word for pure indicates innocence or moral moral blamelessness. And of course, none of us are inherently innocent or morally blameless. We have all been corrupted by sin and are guilty morally. But James says here that those who are wise will at least strive towards being pure. Are you striving towards purity? Towards holiness? Pursuing purity is not standing at a black and white line of sin and holiness and fighting the urges to cross over into the blackness of evil. That's not pursuing purity. Pursuing purity is running as fast and as hard as you can in the opposite direction. It's not seeing how unevil you can be. It's seeing how pure you can be. The emphasis is on the positive, not the negative. You see the difference between those? James says that wisdom that is pure is from above, from heaven. Said, but the wisdom from above is first pure. And I'd say that because in heaven, purity reigns supreme. There is no evil in heaven. It cannot exist in God's presence. If we were in heaven today, the first thing we would think is like the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. Woe is me. I am unclean, lost, impure. I have unclean lips. The first thing we would realize in heaven is our impurity. And that's why wisdom from heaven is, first of all, pure. Now, to be clear, until we actually reach heaven, we won't be able to be entirely pure. Impure words and thoughts and actions, beliefs, will haunt us until the day we die. And that's why it's so important, so crucial, that we understand the gospel. Because the gospel is the only way we can actually become pure before God. We first have to admit to God the absolute fact that we are impure. We cannot ever be pure enough on our own, no matter how wise we are. But God sent his son Jesus to live the pure life that we never could. And that life being offered as a sacrifice and death satisfied God's demand for holiness before him. Jesus' death on the cross was the only death of an innocent man ever. The fact that he rose from the dead proved that God has the power to give us new life. And new life that through Jesus and only Jesus, we can be considered pure. If you've never accepted the life that Jesus offers you, 
You can today. There is no wiser thing you can do in all your days on earth. It's a first taste of heaven's wisdom. The wisest thing you can do is accept Jesus' purity. Nothing prioritizes purity. Earlier, we saw the results of earthly wisdom, that it's earthly and unspiritual, demonic, and leads to every vile practice. But now, as James talks about true wisdom again, he points out what this heavenly wisdom will lead to, as opposed to the earthly wisdom. Remember, purity is the first result, the primary priority, but these things will follow. Read with me, continuing in verse 17. We stop mid-sentence. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. What we learn from this verse is this, that heavenly wisdom produces peaceful and loving character. If we are wise in heaven's eyes, our lives will produce peaceful and loving characteristics. Heavenly wisdom produces these things. I want you to notice as we read again how almost all these character traits that James lists are relational. Okay, These are not in any particular order outside of purity first. But read with me again, verse 17. It says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, and sincere. I don't want you to see this verse as a checklist of things to accomplish. Okay, I want you to see this verse as an evaluation of how wise we are. If you are wise, these things will be taking place in our lives naturally. Much like true faith instinctively produces good works, true wisdom instinctively produces good character, good conduct. And that good character is full of peace and love. Verse 17 in the message says real wisdom, God's wisdom, begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It is gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings. As we look at this list, again, ask yourself, do I have heavenly wisdom? Do I have heavenly wisdom? Is my life displaying these qualities in a maturing or growing way? First, am I becoming peaceable? Peaceable. Do I bicker or fight with other believers easily? Do I, or on the other hand, do I pursue peace with them, regardless of how that might hurt my pride? There's humility. Peace is so important to wisdom. James is going to return to peace in a minute. But all these qualities do exhibit a life of peace and peacemaking. Ask next. Then peaceable, gentle. Am I becoming gentle? Not weak, but controlled gentleness. Am I controlling my strength or my words to become loving towards others? Next, am I open to reason? Not open to dismissing core beliefs of your faith. But are you open to listen or even compromise on lesser issues in order to keep peace? It's important. Am I merciful to others? 
It's full of mercy. Willing to show them love, even if they hurt me. Undeservedly. Am I growing and showing good fruit in my life? Can people see my faith and my wisdom because of how I act? Am I impartial? We talked about favoritism in depth a few weeks back. But do I favor certain people over others that I might consider more undesirable? And am I sincere? Do people consider me trustworthy, consistent? Is there hypocrisy in my life? Or do I sincerely desire to grow? If we are lacking in any of these areas, as we all are, we need to stop today and ask God for his wisdom to become more peaceful and loving. How do we grow in any of these areas? It requires heavenly wisdom. Wisdom that God promises to give us if only we ask. If any of you is lacking in wisdom, let him ask God. You might think that after all this, well, if I'm selfless, if I don't look after my own desires, if I'm not envious or ambitious for myself, if I show mercy to others, if I compromise, if I control my own strength, if I look out for lower or weaker people than myself, instead of showing favoritism to the strong, if I only make peace instead of fighting for my opinions or beliefs, then I'm just going to be run over by people. That's not how this world works. I'll be hurt, abused, seen as weak. In this world, we have to look out for ourselves or we'll be left behind. And we ask, well, why would we want to pursue or even ask God for such a wisdom that doesn't look out for me? James understands that this wisdom is not the way our world runs. However, this is the way that the kingdom of heaven runs. This is how heaven runs. And that kingdom is an eternal kingdom with rewards that we can't even fathom. That's ultimately why we should want this. Far outweigh the troubles of today. As a conclusion, James points to this ultimate reward that heavenly wisdom brings. And it makes sense. The reward for having heavenly wisdom relates to heaven. Verse 17, and we'll go into verse 18. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Imagine with me that you're a farmer. Okay? This isn't as easy for us to do in today's world as it would in James, for James's here, because many of the people he was talking to probably were farmers. Hardly any of you, if any of you, are farmers now, especially in an inner city church like this. But imagine that you are, okay? Imagine that you're a farmer, and your year revolves around whenever you harvest your crop. It really does. Your year revolves around that, whether that crop is corn or apples or wheat or strawberries, whatever. Everything that you do leads up to the harvest. 
the cultivating of the ground, the fertilizing, the planting, the watering, the tending of the crops. Why do you do any of that as a farmer? You do it all so that you'll receive a harvest. Unless you had multiple crops in the day, that one harvest would be your entire yearly income. You wouldn't get a bi-weekly paycheck. You would be entirely tied to the harvest. And the harvest, when it came, would be a time of rejoicing, of reaping incredible rewards for your labor. But in the months before the harvest, there's a lot of work, and there's a lot of waiting. James says that if you choose to live with heavenly wisdom, you might not see fruit on it. You might have hardship or persecution. People that abuse your efforts to love them. There will be a lot of hard work and a lot of waiting. But that in living this way, in living a wise life that it's full of peace, you're planting seeds. You're sowing seeds. And here's the best news. There's a harvest coming. And you will reap what you sow. In this case, a harvest of righteousness, says verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Righteousness, right living that pleases God. The fruit that you harvest will be something that God looks down on and is pleased with it. It's righteous. And my brothers and sisters, there is nothing that we should desire more than God's approval. There's nothing. Ultimately, of course, we need Christ's righteousness, not our own. But if we're living with this true faith and this true wisdom... Christ's righteousness will shine through our lives in increasing intensity that will culminate in a harvest of righteousness that will blow our minds. God will be pleased and everything will be so worth it. The harvest will be a day of rejoicing like you'll never experience on earth. Because after all, It isn't of earth. It's wisdom from above. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so lacking in wisdom in our lives. We are so impure. We get involved with so many vile things. But you promise that if we ask you for wisdom, you'll give it. And so we ask you again today, Lord, make us wise. Make us righteous in your sight. Make us pure. We need you and we depend on you. Help us to wait patiently for the harvest that you're bringing. And help us to look forward to that day with great anticipation, with great joy. For it is in Christ's name that we pray.